Welcome to Round Trip Death. On this show, we have discussions with real people who have had near-death experiences. This is a safe, non-judgmental, non-denominational space where we all have something we can learn from others. While every NDE is different, one of the commonalities is that experiencers come back changed, and their lives going forward reflect that change. The question is, what will you and I learn from listening to their stories? We are excited today for the special guest that we have, Peggy Robinson. And let me just give you a little background. Peggy is author of The Will of a Wildflower, which I've not read yet, but I'm looking forward to it. She also hosts uh, a YouTube channel called NDE TV. And we're going to hear some interesting things, including how to negotiate with God today. Right, Peggy? I would kind of call it how not to tell God off, but it worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever word for you. And I'm not all necessarily recommending that we all negotiate with God, but that's part of Peggy's experience, and I found it interesting. So we're going to be talking about that today, too. Would you mind just telling our listeners a little bit about you before we get started? Um, I was born and raised in Marriott, Ohio. I'm the youngest of five children, and um Got married at 18, started a family, and um, had two little boys, and then we adopted my nephew when he was two, and for 16 years, got divorced and remarried, and I was a children's services investigator, uh, mental health social worker, uh, correctional counselor, primary counselor for drug-addicted people, those kind of things, and then... I got the empty nest, and so I went with my husband, who worked on the pipeline as a welder, became his helper. So a total different career change. And last year, we retired, and I started my podcast, be two years this March. I think it's been doing pretty well. I had no idea how to do a podcast, but I learned as I went. We just jump in and go, don't we? What does a welder's helper do? We worked on the pipeline, and he would weld pipe, and I would hand him tools and I would brush the pipe down between welds and with a grinder and I would throw skids which is these railroad ties I I love throwing these things well that's fun not very many of us get to work with our spouse but hopefully it was good for your marriage not conflicting for your marriage we had a ball that is great we traveled together and it was nice well I want to jump right into your near-death experiences you had two and I know you usually talk about your most recent one first, but let's do this today. Let's go back in history, because you had an experience when you were just five years old, but you didn't remember it for a long time afterwards. Would you give us kind of a brief, what was going on before this happened that led up to it? I was sitting on the floor in my bedroom, playing my Barbie dolls, as usual. I was a real girly girl, real tiny little thing. And uh, my mom walked in, and she says, it's hot outside. Let's go swimming. She said, for me and my older brother, John, said, you go on down. And me and my sister, Terry, said, we'll be down after a bit. And this is a rare treat because we'd go down with the five kids, mom and dad, as a family. We weren't just given permission to just go on down to the pond as mom Hill. So we got our swimsuits on, and we ran down. And I was trying to keep up with my older brother. who just took off and left me. And we got to the pond, and... 
he went to the father's end and dove in and started doing laps to center and back. And I stayed on the front middle where I knew where I went down with my parents where it was shallow. And I always just, you know, felt my feet in the sand and the water, you know, watching for drop-offs. And I kept watching for my mom and sister to come. And I thought, this is cool, but it's kind of scary, you know, no, no supervision. And I found a board floating in the water. I thought, I bet I could use that as a raft, and I can do what my brother's doing. I could do laps to the center and back. That's what I thought. So I laid my little belly on this board and I dog paddled out on that to the center of the pond. And I yelled my brother, hey, John, look at me. And he came rushing out, swimming real fast, grabbed my board and continued doing his laps. Here I am in the middle of the pond and I can't swim. And I tried to tread water. I couldn't. And it wasn't long at all. And my head was under the water. I'm choking, screaming underwater, which does no good. The water was muddy brown. I couldn't see. I lost direction what's up and down. And I thought for a moment about my mom, my sister, who was always my protectors, you know, and they're not there. And suddenly I was at the ceiling of the kitchen and I'm watching them get stuff to bring down. And I didn't hear anything earthly. I felt their thoughts. I could feel this concentration, quietness. And then I'm back struggling and it hurts worse than ever. It felt like my throat was going to burst. And then I wake up like you would just wake up from a nap and you're relaxed and calm. And the water is not brown now. It's a bright, shiny, transparent green. And I think, oh, my parents lied to me. There's no such thing as drowning. Like I was scared for no reason. I thought I can't wait to tell my older siblings they lied to us. You know, you can't drown. You know, this is full. And I dipped down, like floated down, drifted down, down further to the bottom of the pond. And which before that would have terrified me, but now I feel like it's all okay. And this little scene opens up and it's a memory, but it's like I'm back there in the living room looking at a fishbowl, watching these little goldfish in there. And while this is happening, these fish in the pond are bumping into me. And, and I'm, I have this question in my mind, like, why are these fish not afraid of me? And I'm thinking of this fishbowl memory, and this something tells me these fish know something I don't. I'm dead. I don't want to be a dead girl bottom this pond. And so I start to rise above, and I notice my vision is different. I can see two views now at once. I can see below the water, under the water at the same time. And somehow I have a knowing, have a choice. Do you want to stay below or go above? And I thought, well, I'm bored with below, I go above. So I start to rise above the center of this pond, and I don't see my body anymore after this. I get about treetop high, and I think that's far enough. As I'm, I know it's silly, but I'm still afraid of heights. Like, you know, I have no body. I, I know I'm dead because I'm this ghost. And anything I knew about ghosts, I remember thinking was Casper the Friendly Ghost, the cartoon. That's all I knew about ghosts. So I'm thinking, well, I can hover. I bet I could fly. And when I thought that, a female voice audibly said to me, and I could tell the distance away from me it was. So I'm going to guess 10 feet. And it said, no, don't go yet. If they find you soon, you might go back. And I thought, go back. That's not how death works. You just don't go back. 
So that's how the drowning started. Who do you think that voice was? I believe it was an angel. Because after the drowning, I saw a female figure. It was white and it had the same voice. And it was the same personality. Okay. So how did you get saved? I didn't see the rescue. I woke up being carried over my brother's right shoulder. And I'm dangling. I see the gray pavement of the road, and I'm throwing up water down his back. And he and I see my mom and sister walking up ahead. And he says to my mom, can I put her down now? Because little sister's throwing up on him, you know. And I see them both turn at the same time and look. My mom grabs her chest and sigh of relief. She nods her head, yeah. And they turn around, and they go on up to the house. My brother sets me down the road, and they take off to the house. And I'm left standing there on the road, in front of the train tracks, sick. And while I was hovering, a voice said to me, well, first of all, I got a knowing. It let me know my family didn't love me. And then a voice said to me, God sends children here to be loved. That is why he sends them here. And I thought, well, I said to it back, I said, well, that's not fair. You just, you know, let me know my family don't love me. And then you tell me that. And and so now I'm staying there at five years old with this knowledge. And, and it just seemed proven to me. My family didn't love me. So they just left me staying there. So I looked up the house, up the road, and I thought, why would I go to the house to a family don't love me? I was just about to go flying and exploring. And, and I do have some memories of doing some things like that. And I want to go back to that. And I knew drowning really hurts. But I thought, I'm not going to fight it this time. And I took a couple steps back towards the pond on the road to go do that. And that's when this light angel figure appeared. She says, no, don't. I said, you know they don't love me. And she said, well, you'll have a lot of love someday. I said, where will I find it? And she pointed right towards Belcrete, the next town over. And then I went on home, got in my nightgown, and I felt like I was now my own mother like I could only depend on myself now. And I picked up a nursery rhyme book, and I flipped through, and I stopped at the old woman that lived in a shoe, and I just stared at those beds lined up in a row, and I felt like, is that what, an, is that what the angel meant, that, I, you know, that I'd have, maybe I'd have a lot of, she said I'd have a lot of love someday. I wonder if she meant I had a lot of kids. Like maybe I would love unloved kids like me someday. Maybe I'd have an orphanage, or I'd have a lot of kids of my own, but I kind of felt like I knew my future at five years old. That's rough. That's really rough. Did you and your family ever talk about this incident later? Yes. After my second NDE, when I was 25, a couple months later, it all come to me, the drowning. I remembered it a while after the drowning happened. I was little because I can remember strange things that happened after that. And I had must have just put it away because after my second NDE, I was sitting out in the uh, grass one night, looking at the stars by myself, and all of a sudden, um, like the old um, drive-in theaters, the big screens outside, it was like that, like this big screen opened up in the sky, and I saw the drowning from front to back, but it was like I was living it, and it like it took me over, like I jolted, sat back up. So I went the next day, and I went to my mom, and I said, did I drown when I was little? And she said, yeah, you did. So you had blocked all of this. Yeah. It was just too painful. I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, I too was five. That's not something you have words for. Even at 25, trying to tell that indeed to people, it was really difficult. 
Well, especially the not feeling loved part, I imagine. Let's skip forward to you're 25 years old and you're pregnant with twins. What happens from there? I was two months pregnant for twins. And um, my uh, first husband, he had uh, forced me to get my tubes tied when I was 20 on my second C-section. But I had found out I could get it reversed and I had got it reversed, and a month later I was pregnant and for twins. So I was so, so happy. I was pregnant and so happy to be pregnant for twins, but then I started having pain, and I started calling my doctor, and I says, I think it's a tubal pregnancy, because I knew with a reversal surgery there's a slighter chance of a tubal, and he said it is not tubal pregnancy. He says, I did an ultrasound when he was in the office. Both babies are in the uterus. And a couple of days later, I say, the pain's worse. Like, I'm on the couch. I can't get up. It's not a tool pregnancy. It's probably just worse twins and you know, uterus is stretching. And so by the end of the week, I could not walk. And then I started spotting. So I had my husband take me to the hospital. And not long before we got to the hospital, my pain that I was having faded in such a strange way that I instinctively knew I was dying. And I said a prayer to God, just let me live long enough to get to the hospital I don't want my husband to freak out, me dying right here, you know, in the car. So we got to the hospital. I went to the nurse. I said, I think it's a tool pregnancy, and I feel like I'm either going to throw up or pass out. And so they had him stay and sign papers, put me in a wheelchair, hand me the blue bowl, put in my lap. And just as they started to push me, I died. And how I knew I died was at first I thought, oh, I'm going to throw up. I want to get that bowl. And I couldn't lift my hand off the armrest. I thought, I lost contact with my body. I can't tell my hands to pick up that bow. And then, oh, wait a minute. I'm not going to throw a bathroom. I'm going to pass out. And I'm familiar with passing out because I had irritable bowel from stress. And I would pass out. At one point, it was like two, three times a week for months. And you just wake up. You don't dream or anything. You just, you know. And, but I thought, I'm just going to pass out. And my chin, where I thought that my chin hit my chest. And suddenly I'm in a tunnel and it's dim and I'm whizzing real fast through space. And all of a sudden it stops and everything's perfectly quiet and still. I'm in a very bright white light and I look down and there's no body. I feel just like me, but I have no body whatsoever. And so I look around and I'm thinking, am I going to be alone for eternity? And I see a faint outline of people standing. And then I see one sitting up front and center. I thought, that has to be God. And I started yelling at God, very disrespectful, very rude, like, I cannot stay. I, I won't stay. I have kids to raise. And I can't let anything that happened to me growing up happen to my children. And a scenario opens up, and I see this little vision of this kid throwing a fit in the store. And I believe that was God's way of showing me that's how you're acting. I was acting like a spoiled child. You know, something a young mother would understand. So I thought, well, i got to get a grip here. So um, I blurted out all the abuse I went through, and uh, it was sped up real fast. And let me know. I believe by being sped up, it was God's way of letting me know. I didn't have to keep going on. He understood. And so I said, okay. I said, I know from being Catholic that you're omniscient. You can see in the future if you can see that my sons would be better off without me for whatever reason, I agree to stay. But if not, I beg to return. And then I see a man from behind 
and I just glide right up. I now have a body and I glide up and we're side by side and we dip immediately down. And suddenly we're over top our trailer at night and then the roof disappears and we drop down closer and it's my three boys discussing the fact that mom has died. And my son Jeremy says to his older brother, Matthew, he says, I don't care that you say mom is dead. I want her back and I want her back right now. And I felt his pain so bad, I retracted. I'm back in the white light in the physical body and I'm accepting. I'm judging myself. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm saying, you know, it's my fault. I died. It's my fault my twins died because I had that surgery. It's my fault my sons are going to be motherless. And I thought, I, you know, I have to accept this because God told me the answer was no, that I couldn't go back. He said, it is your time. So I'm accepting this. I accept my fate. And then I think about, well, I'll see my sons, you know, they're old men, they die and come to heaven. I'll see them again. I'll wait for them. And then another thought, a panic comes. And I think, what if my sons hate God because they lost their mom at such a young age? Because I've heard of that before. And I just start sobbing and sobbing. And I see my hands come up in front of my face. And I'm crumbled at the feet of Jesus because beside God now is Jesus sitting beside him. And I can only see just his feet. The rest is still outlined and in this bright white light. And it's like blind you can't see. And I say, who else will teach them about you? And then I'm back in the wheelchair in the emergency room. And I think, what in the hell was that? I was just in heaven accepting it. And I felt gratitude, like God gave me a chance to try to save my life. But I knew this wasn't over because... I no longer had the nausea. I no longer felt like I was going to pass. I no longer had any pain. I felt perfectly healthy. But that experience just told me I'm going to borrow time here. I've, I'm just like, God let me come back, give her a little more time, see if the doctor will fix her. And my doctor examined me. He said, Peggy, why do you keep saying to her? see, you're fine. I told you both babies are in. So I couldn't tell him what happened. I thought they put me in the psych ward. Well, and, and back then they did think, kind of think people were crazy <laughs> yeah. that would talk about near-death experiences. It just wasn't a very known or accepted or certainly not talked about thing at that point. Do you mind if we dive a little deeper into what happened? You saw God and Jesus. Tell us about that. Can you give any kind of description? With God, he was sitting up front and center of this panel of people standing and there's another row sitting up front, and he was in the middle, and it's still just this faint outline of people. But because this one was sitting up front and center, I pointed and said, that has to be God. Because in my mind, this must be heaven. You know, this, these, this panel of people, I could feel them watching me. They stand still. When I see one sitting up front and center, I thought that has to be God. So that's all I saw was outline of someone sitting there. But the voice spoke to me in a way that what I believed that was was correct because I heard I was speaking in words, but he spoke telepathic in a male, firm, but loving voice, letting me know the answer was no or wasn't my time. And with Jesus, I saw a man, slender, shoulder-length, wavy brown hair from behind, and that's all. And when we drop down, my focus is on what I'm seeing you know, the trailer and the boys. And then when I'm back, 
I believe I see Jesus' feet, that he is sitting on God's left because he was on my right. And that's where my focus is now. I'm crumbled at Jesus' feet. And that's all I see. As far as the visual, that was all. Okay. Anything else that you heard or felt? When I was this invisible me, and when the I'm screaming out all the abuse, I noticed that every time I remember that, I'm seeing a physical me like it's across from me in the room. So that makes me feel like there was two me's, this invisible spirit and this physical, like you might say animation, even though it looked like a normal me, but it was like we can, or they can, we all both can, I guess, in that realm, create visuals, like visual aids to teach each other to help in communication, like the drowning, you know, the fishbowl scene opened up, and that helped me realize, oh, a fish knows something I don't, that, you know, that I'm dead. And this, with the uh, child in the store, that visual helped me realize, oh, that's how I'm acting back in school child. And for that physical me, it's almost like I could do it too, because it was a physical me that I saw and that was blurting this out to God. And then when I saw the back of Jesus, I, you know, I feel like that was a physical, um, like an educational tool. Like, you know who this is and someone's taking you, you know, go. And when I approached him from the center place I was, it felt like almost like I was on the wheels, like woof, like I didn't walk. I just moved real quick. And then the movement from there to earth was just drop real fast in there. Which, you know, on the way up there, it was the tunnel and this loud, like, bumpy ride, this wind speed and everything. And so I've had a lot of time to think about these things and try to understand. And it just seems to me like we are so limited here in our words and our ability. For, you know, I can't just go like this, you know, raise my hand and you see this illustration of what I want you to see, what I'm trying to describe. And then I don't understand how I saw the future either, a future that never happened because I didn't, you know, stay dead. Now, is that the future you're talking about seeing your boys? Was that in the future that would have happened or did, it, or did that conversation actually happen? Never happened. Yeah. Because they never knew that I was even almost dead. So that was a... If you had stayed dead, they would have had that conversation. Yeah, years later, I was watching the Christmas Carol. I'm like, wait a minute. This is so much like that part of my NDE to be able to go in the future and see this scenario. It almost makes you wonder if, like, you know, the people that wrote, you know, Charles Dickens that wrote that, like, did they have some knowledge of someone's NDE to be able to write this? Well, I've interviewed somebody else that uh, studied Charles Dickens, and it is believed that he had an NDE, and that's where he got some of that from. That is not a proven fact, but there are some scholars that believe that. So you mentioned you describe God's voice firm but loving. Tell me more about that. He let me know that I wasn't the boss there. He was. And the answer is no. It was my time. Are you able to do that as a parent now since you've experienced that? Yeah, I was that kind of parent. People had told me that I was strict, but I was loving. 
And I was, I was strict. Like I wanted my boys to have morals. I wanted to know right from wrong. Um, if one or my sons, um, I found he wrote the answers on a test on his hand. I took him back to the school. I made him tell the teacher what he did, you know. And when they got citizenship award, my boys got that every year. And I was so proud of them. I was like, I'm more proud of this than if you got the honor roll, that he was a, they're a good citizen. You know, they're a good friend to everybody. They're well-behaved. That's great. So something else that I'm sure you've had time to think about over the years, um, and, and especially since you have also interviewed a lot of people that have had NDEs, and one thing that I hear a lot is the love, the bliss, the peace that I felt there was so much that I wanted to stay. Some people were given a choice to stay there. Some people were not given a choice to stay there. Your experience was a little different. Why do you think that is? I think we are given the experience we need to have to grow when we come back. So how did this all change your life and make you a different person? I have gratitude every day that I was allowed to come back and raise my boys. I don't take that for granted. A lot of women die to a pregnancy. A lot of kids die from drowning. You know, I was saved twice. And it makes me feel like I have a purpose, like there's a job for me to do, to take that gift seriously. Okay. Let's go back to the hospital if you don't mind, tell us what happened moving forward. How, what happened to that pregnancy? How did you recover, et cetera? The doctor said, since I didn't want to go home, he said, well, you can spend the night if it make you feel better. Since I lived an hour away, so the doctor and the husband went home, and I lay there in a bed, private room, and I had pain in my hip bone, my right hip bone. I wake up and pass out and vomit all over me all night, ask the nurse to call the doctor. She said, I'm not going to wake him up. I'm sure he wrote down the notes. There's nothing wrong with her. You know, so they were concerned. But the next morning, they would take me to ultrasound. During the night, after so many times of, I never had another NDE, but I was starting to realize I'm dying every time here. Well, I'm not just passing out, I'm dying. And after so many times, I said another prayer. I said, God, can you, I know you can't keep bringing me back. I said, can you just keep me alive till morning? Maybe my doctor will come in and do an ultrasound, maybe even to prove that there's nothing wrong with me. You know, just maybe he'll, then he'll find out what's wrong. And that's what happened. He come in early, had the ultrasound, and uh, he said, Peggy, this is the worst thing imaginable. You've got internal bleeding feeling, your entire abdominal cavity clear up to your chest. And uh, they called my whole family and said I wasn't going to make it. They sent me upstairs since I was an organ donor, had to fill out all my organs to give away to donors. And then they took me to surgery, and they had to remove both babies. I'm only two months, and the, the surgery would kill the one that's in the uterus. Um, but they had to remove the one in the tube to stop the internal bleeding. So both babies were removed. And, uh, of course, they didn't make it at two months. But um, the doctor come in afterwards, and he says, this, he said, you're famous around here. This is the biggest tubal pregnancy this hospital has ever seen. You'll probably have doctors sticking their head in the door to look at you. I thought, I don't want to be famous, you know, right. I don't be famous for that. What, after that, what led to your remembering the five-year-old drowning? I was at a family get-together with my husband's big Catholic family, 12 kids. And they never liked me. My biological family didn't ever like me either. And I got really sad because um, after I'd lost the twins a month later, I was pregnant again and I had another miscarriage of two months. 
and none of them could say, we're sorry that you lost these babies or anything. They didn't treat me any kinder. And I went out and sat in the grass and I thought, you know what, God? I said, if they don't, if they can't care about these nieces or nephews, there's no way they're ever going to care about me. And I just let go. I just looked up the stars and I just like, I let go. I give up of trying, you know, other than my boys, you know, like anybody's ever going to love me. And, and when I let go, when I was looking up the sky, I just felt so relaxed. And all of a sudden that mirror, that memory just came in that big screen in the sky. I've never had that happen before. That must have been overwhelming. It took me over. Like, uh, I remember when it was over, I was kind of like leaned back and I signed up real quick, like in a jolt, like it had grabbed me and just took me over. And I thought, did I dream? I was little. Like, where did this memory come from? And then I spent some time after that months, you know, at night, lay in bed and think, what else do I remember? And these flashbacks started coming. This strange things started happening. And I didn't under I didn't know the term near death experience. I didn't know anything about the after effects, but they're classic. Now that I, you know, decades later, I understand it. There, even after my five-year-old drowning, there was classic after effects of my NDE. That I didn't I didn't understand any of this for so long that I couldn't. When I first told my husband about it months later after the two pregnancy about the what happened in the wheelchair, he said, I know how it sounds, but I know you. I know you're telling me the truth. But then I thought, that what do I do? Like I wouldn't even know how to go to the library and look it up because I don't know what's even called. What would you I thought it never happened to anybody else before. So what advice do you have for people that have been through this and are having a hard time dealing with it? Find somebody you trust and start talking about it. Try to find the words. Be true to yourself and what you remember. And don't embellish. Don't exaggerate. Write it down and stick to, because these are fantastic enough. Even if you had, like a lot of my guests will say, well, there wasn't really much to my NDE. My NDE was so small. And that's how I felt about mine. Mine was so different. And it was felt so small and so embedded deep in me that I couldn't really get it out. Just work on it. Work on getting it out because the more you talk about it, write about it, it's like a gift that keeps giving. It opens up and you start seeing the connections, like connecting the dots, and there's wisdom in it. Even if it lasted, you know, a few seconds, there's so much wisdom on the other side that it'll keep you um, marveled for the rest of your life. And I think it opens us up too to our also to our psychic abilities, because when I started opening up to you, know, what is going on here, and then I started noticing. After I had lost the twins, I started saving lives. I would be led to save lives. Give us a couple of examples of that. So um, after I lost the twins, I was pregnant the second time. We was at a family reunion with this family. And this is a lot of people. They're all lined up looking at this food on this pavilion. And all of a sudden, I hear a baby crying. And I asked my husband, do you feel me crying? He's like, no. And so I go up the line because I'm headed to the direction of this crying. And I'm asking, do you hear me crying? No. And they're just talking about the food. They don't care about 
if some baby's crying. And so I end up in the field because I'm following the sound. And then I end up and I don't hear it anymore. And I feel like I've, I don't want to say entered another realm, but I feel something strange happening. And I hear a voice say, go to the tall grass, check over there. And I'm thinking, there's nothing in that tall grass. I walk over there and there's a little toddler face down in a ditch, drowning, just barely twitching. And I reach him up and pull him up. And it was weird as that was 1986, 2010, I was a drug and alcohol counselor. And I recognized the last name. And I said, did you go to these family reunions? Are you uh, related to this family? Yeah. And for the first time ever, I told him the story about that little boy in a ditch. He's, he's a great big guy. And he leaned way back in his chair and looked at me. He said, that was you? He said, that was my little brother. He said, he swears to this day an angel saved him. Isn't that weird? That's really cool. That's not weird. That's really neat. And so, you know, things just happen like that. Like, and then later, you know, so I had miscarried when I pulled up that little boy out of the ditch. After I remembered the drowning, a little bit of time went by, and we were in the car, and I all of a sudden told my husband, pull over. And I said, I got to go to the house. I don't even know what's happening. Something just took me over. It never happened ever before. And I knock on this door, and ironically, someone I know answered. I said, what are you doing here? I was babysitting my sister. And I said, what are you doing? She says, I'm babysitting my nephew. I said, take me to him right now. What was happening to me, I don't know. And so we went to the bedroom. I mean, like I ran back there. It was like instinctively. And he was back here choking on Easter basket grass. And I started pulling the grass out and saved him from choking. And she says to this day, she says, he would have died if you hadn't come because she wouldn't know what to do. When she seen what I was doing to save him, she got the phone book or something for her sister's number to call and say, I can't handle him. You know, she's a little bit you know, you know, delayed. And so I got back in the car and I told my husband what happened. He's looking at me on the way home and we're both thinking, what's happening to me? And then not long after that, um, we always said, put down our boys for a nap in the afternoon and go sit on the deck and sunbathe a little while and just chill out. And I started out the door. I was like, you know what? I don't want the radio on today. And as soon as I sat down in the lounge chair, I heard a slight quiet scuff. And I said, did you hear that? He's like, no. And I said, I got to go see what that is. And I went run up the hill and here was a car wreck. And there was absolutely no noise at all. There was four guys had been in the car, two in the back were ejected, and they were way down a cliff into a creek. And the two up front had their heads laying, and you know, the necks were broke. And I called, got the, you know, the um, life light there and stuff. And this friend of the squad told me later that they were going to come thank us because those two that was up front they kept dying en route, and they you know was able to rescue them, and you know they were okay. And the two that got thrown, they had the like. The concussions. They were just kind of out of their mind to combat them. Everybody was occasions you guys saved their life. I didn't connect the dots to any of this. And then later I started learning about near death experiences and the after effects. And I started thinking about the things that happened after my NDEs and wondering, could this be connected? Were these not coincidences? And I can remember things after my drowning, the strange things happened. You know, as a little kid, there's no way I could have um, imagined those things or um, made them up or they were just always in my, once I remember the drowning, these things start coming back and I didn't talk about them. I was like, this doesn't even make sense. Like, these are things you can't tell anybody about. My oldest sister's um, mentally ill, disabled, 
her whole life. And so as other kids always grew up afraid of, we're going to get this, you know? And so we, I really wasn't going to start doing anything that made me, you know, as a counselor, as a social worker, as an investigator, I wasn't going to go around talking crazy. I appreciate you sharing those things. Those are very personal, I know, and I appreciate that. Um, I'd love happy endings. Have you had a happy ending um, from going in a place early in life where you were, you felt completely unloved or you at a better spot now? Yeah. I was the youngest foster parent at 23 years old. And I started doing foster care. And then I started doing therapeutic foster care when I was 28. I ended up having 60 foster kids in and out. We ended up counting my nephew, who'd be 10, that we adopted. Because when I remarried, we adopted a sibling group of five. And then we adopted a sibling group of four. It just seemed like this was all meant to be. And when it kicked in, made me realize this, put it together, is I thought one year, I'm going to um, surprise the girls for Christmas. And I turned our living room in the basement that our boys used to use with their pool table and their friends and that kind of thing. I'm going to put, um, we bought them bunk bed or um, canopy beds and painted it and made it real nice, lined up all their beds. And I stood back to admire it. I'm like, wait a minute, this is like that story. And I thought, God, you're so funny. You know, to see those beds all lined up in a row. And then I stood there and I laughed because I remember my ex-husband saying, our property is shaped like a boot. You know, oh, they lived in a ship. And I'm like, God is so funny. It's just like I was seeing dots uh, connecting. And, I've, and as the older I get, the more I can see how things were meant to be. Things were planned out from the beginning. That's awesome. Okay, before I let you go, give us a word of hope. You know, something that you've learned from your NDE and these other experiences that can give hope to people out there. When I first was in the bright white light before I saw a panel of people, and I thought, am I alone here for my little fraternity? And I'm looking around. This thought come to me. Wow, it's real. The whole God, Jesus, heaven, that it's real. And I'm saying like you would say in a prayer to God. I'm saying, God, you've got to send people back. You've got to tell people. I mean, send people back and let them, you know, Tell people that this is real. Maybe life would be different if people knew that this was real. That we're not just dead in a coffin. That we do live on. You know, both times I died, suddenly I was somewhere else. And, you know, why it was all out of body with a drowning and then, you know, swiftly up to heaven. And the second one, you know, it just seems like there was something I was to learn in both of those. I think if I would have saw something more beautiful, like heavenly realm or children playing or something, I would have definitely went back to that pond. You know, I wouldn't have listened to the angels as they don't. I would have done it anyway. And, you know, people that see beautiful things, you know, I guess that's what they're meant to see. Because if I was shown like all this love and all this beauty, I'm the type of person, I would probably would have committed suicide. And that's probably not a happy ending, you know, but. So you were shown the amount that was right for you and that was best for you. Yeah. And I think that's what happens with everybody that has this kind of experience. Yeah, I do too. I mean, after interviewing every general people, what I've learned to do and what I try to tell my audience is listen to the NDE and separate that. Separate their experience 
from what they make of it afterwards. Because some people start reading New Age books and they'll start spilling off all these New Age theories that they've told this is what this means. Or um, they'll start quoting the Bible and saying, so this is what this means. We all make of it what we will. The experience is one thing and then making of it what we will is another. And that's what we do on this show is we, or I should say what we don't do on this show is we don't try to interpret people's NDEs. We listen to what happened from them. We learn what we have to learn from that. And the interpretation is left up to the person that had it. As it should be. Because it was meant for them. Yeah. Peggy Robinson, thanks a lot for being on the show today. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you will share this message with family and friends. To be notified when the next episode goes live, follow this show on your podcasting app or click over to roundtripdeath.com and sign up for our email newsletter. Until then, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. Music